and hello uh, you are watching the marriage underdogs radio show i'm your host chris a matthews and once again i have another dynamic guest i would like to introduce you to louise resendez who yes you got it is a licensed marriage and family therapist out of california hello how you doing louise i'm pretty good how are you doing chris man i'm doing phenomenal uh those that have listened to the show know that i have a special place in my heart for men who are LMFTs because we are an underrepresented bunch. So I always like to start by asking my men in particular, especially men of color, what got you into this field of marriage and family therapy? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. It was kind of um, by accident. So um, in uh, 2005, I was working at a community-based agency in Pasadena, California. I was doing behavior modification work with um, kids and, and families, caregivers. And um, I remember specifically what happened was uh, I was working on a case with um, a clinical supervisor who was an LMF team. And her and I were just discussing what was going on with the family. Um, and I was sharing with her my interventions, my insight or whatnot. And she was really impressed. So she jokingly asked me, Luis, are you sure you're not a therapist? And I told her, no, I'm not, Cindy. But, you know, just that statement, it, it, it just stayed with me, you know, and it, it was on repeat in my mind day in and day out, you know, weeks after. So uh, a lot of the clinical managers, they were LMFTs. We had a couple of licensed clinical social workers as well, but there were more LMFTs. So um, I just started casually asking around. Um, you know, what do you have to do to become a licensed marriage and family therapist? And of course, grad school, licensure, yada, yada, et cetera. Um, so I started taking things a lot seriously because just even a lot of the feedback I was giving from so, given from some of the uh, clinical supervisors about my work, and they were really impressed. And that made me really reflect that, you know what, maybe this is my calling. Um, to go back even a little bit further, my undergrad studies, um, are in criminal justice. I have a bachelor's degree in criminal justice and um, law enforcement in particular, working for the FBI. That was my original ambition, but my goals were kind of shot down. Um, my aspirations actually, actually were kind of shut down, were shot down um, years into my undergrad. So yeah, you know, um, I still wound up um, in the uh, social services field with the hopes, with the hopes of you know, doing probation type work and whatnot. So anyway, fast forward back to our original story that, yeah, you know, um, I started researching grad schools. Uh, I found one in particular that really impressed me because they had their program, one of their programs tailor fitted to working students, which I was at the time. And so um, I submitted an application, did an entrance interview. And in 2006, I began my graduate studies as a marriage and family therapist at Pacific Oaks College in Pasadena. I did a part-time program, so what would have taken me probably two years actually took me four years, and I graduated in 2010 and um, just started accumulating hours towards license licensure. I became licensed in 2015, and here I am. And the funny thing is that, you know, when I talk about my education, I am now an adjunct professor at the same school I did my my graduate studies. So it's just kind of funny how things go through full circle. circle. Yeah, in that yeah. regard. Man, I'm, I'm glad you broke down the process because those that are listening may have those ambition, ambitions as well. So if you're listening and someone shared with you that they felt like 
it would be a good fit for you to pursue the therapy realm, don't hesitate to look at what it takes to become an LMFT. And Luis, you've done a great job breaking down the graduate school track, but more importantly, you can sustain a job as a working professional while acquiring your degree. And yeah. that was huge. When you look at being an LMFT, a person of color, tell me about how that dynamic, the cultural component plays into the work that you do. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, it plays a major role in the sense that when I work with male clients of color too, I have to often self-reflect in that, okay, you know, bigger picture, outside of just presenting issues of marital conflict, um, discord, uh, other issues, depression, anxiety, unmanaged work stress. Okay, so we're going to work and tackle and address these issues. But what about, you know, um, things outside of that, outside contributing factors, influences, you know, just social economic standing, you know, maybe previous history with, you know, discrimination, racism, things like that. I got to take all of those things into consideration um, in planning my treatment, planning my interventions, and of course, emphasizing that I'm not going to be taking a cookie cutter approach in the work and the services I render to my clients. But yeah, again, it starts with my own self-reflection and just, you know, even my own personal history and that, you know, with with within the fabric of society or whatnot, what were those snags that I ran into? What were some um, disadvantages that came my way as a result of just, you know, again, the way our government social economic uh, apparatus is structured and whatnot but even to moments where you know just again i face discriminatory types of behaviors or whatnot and even just uh discontent at times with the healthcare system because at the end of the day we are part of the healthcare system right uh, anything you know related to just essentially saving people's lives i'm uh, not mm -hmm. just being a doctor but a therapist or a psychologist so all of that you know so it starts here and it works its way out but also, you know, again, just when I see my clients bigger picture and um, when I'm assessing and evaluating, you know, just again, keeping in mind that, OK, but what are some other things that maybe we're not going to discuss right now because we're just gathering basic information, but maybe contributing to the issue at hand that brings the client into into therapy. And you can relate to a client that may have never received therapeutic services in the past. They are a person of color. They are a man. And when you look at how there's a lot of talk, especially across social media now, about creating a safe space and checking in and mental health. And we even hear buzzwords like vulnerability. Talk about what you feel some of the barriers still are that prevent men from getting into counseling to work on their relationships. Yes. Yeah, so I would say, um, number one, stigma remains prevalent. You know, the idea that um, seeing a counselor, therapist, psychologist, clinical social worker, psychiatrist, whomever, mm -hmm. that, you know, if you seek out services from such a person that you are weak, you are incapable of dealing with your problems on your own, you're not reliable, you're not being the strong man that you need to be, but in particular, 
the strong man for for everybody else. And where do these stigmas come from? Like, talk about where you've seen the origins of these stigmas based on your clients when they come in and talk to you about their 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 reservations. Yes. Yeah, so, Chris, I'm going to be totally honest, but um, the majority of it comes from cultural upbringing. You know, I work with a lot of uh, Latino, Hispanic um, clients. Um, and with my male clients and even my female clients too, I also work with female clients, but just, uh, you know, comments, stories about, you know, we never talked about this in my family. We never, uh, you know, opened up and put our problems out there. And we were told never to talk to a stranger, never, you know, talk to a um, psicologo is what, you know, kind of the general term in the Latino community for, um, uh, a therapist and, 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 you know, a mental health provider. But if you do such that, yeah, you know, again, you're weak and they're going to diagnose you as being crazy. Um, I've had clients tell me stories that they've had family members tell them, if you go see a person like that, they're going to put you in a padded room and they're going to give you medication and just, you know, these horrific stories that of course, as we all know, are, are totally untrue. So, so Luis, that, so Luis the, the main thing I'm hearing you say then is is fear. It's the fear that something's going to happen. And we tend to target fear with protection. Mm -hmm. And so, so, so that's very, that's a very important. We break that down because what I'm hearing you say, a lot of families are attempting to protect their loved ones from getting involuntarily committed or put in that padded room per se, or all they're going to do is force medication down your throat. Mm -hmm. So there's been a lack of education around what talk therapy actually looks like and the benefits of talk therapy. So instead, people have been sharing with their family and friends, don't do therapy because it's going to hurt you versus help you. Talk about how a couple listening or a partner in distress can actually get help from therapy. Yeah. Well, I think, gosh, that's such a uh, a big question, for lack of better words, because I can go in so many directions with that. Well, but, you know, well, well, let's do this then. Stay in the direction around if a, listeners hearing us talk right now, and they've been in a negative season of marriage. John Gottman, he talks about uh, marriage research, and he mentions that couples can be in distress or unhappy for six years before they even begin to get help, right? So if mm -hmm. we have that couple or that partner that's been married, or it might been two years, might be six years, might even been six months, and they're in a negative space, and they are wondering if they should get help. Talk to that person right now. Yeah, I would say that, you know, you also have to look at the other areas of your life and your possible dissatisfaction with those things. So think about, you know, career job. If years prior, you know, you approached your career or job with just this enthusiasm and passion, but then as time went by, you know, it began to slowly dry up and you just looked at your career as, you know, something really monotonous, um, not interesting anymore. And even your effort that you were putting into it was not as it once was. You may look at, okay, just maybe it's job burnout. Yes, that could be, you know, um, that could be one of the issues. But what about the outside influencing factors? General life satisfaction. Okay, general life. Oh, what are other areas in your life in which you're not satisfied? 
well, maybe I'm not satisfied in my marriage. You know, my partner and I, you know, spend time together. We don't communicate. Uh, we sleep in separate beds. We're not intimate, things like that. When you finally start to hone in on that, you may start to slowly see that, okay, yes. I think when I really think about it, that I'm not happy in my marriage right now, and that's influencing my passions, my my drive towards my career and my job, as opposed to, you know, years prior when I was very passionate about my marriage, I was really happy in my marriage. And simultaneously with my career, I was giving it all I got. But now, you know, just the energy has pretty much been zapped from those two things. Yes. And then maybe even looking at other relationships with people, with friends, family members, co-workers, if your relationships with them aren't what they used to be, they're very you know, just, just, just dry for lack of better words. And they're lacking that enthusiasm, that healthy human interaction gives us then. Okay. So what's going on? What happened? Why are these? Well, you know, again, general dissatisfaction of life. You'd be not happy in my marriage, my wife. I mean, my, my partner and I, as years went by, we just communication broke down. We weren't being as intimate and things like that. My relationship with that person closest to me again begin to dry out because of that my relationships yeah now louise i want to highlight something you're doing in this moment which is spectacular you're taking a systemic viewpoint and approach to the question which is beautiful and let's break this down for the non-therapist listening right yeah (laughs) so when you look at the question what indicators or factors or what would you tell someone they may be struggling in their marriage. I'm hearing you say that your struggles in your marriage aren't isolated or they may not be isolated. They could actually correlate with other areas of not being satisfied in life in general, Mm -hmm. or it may also align with dissatisfaction in other relationships. And this is so important that we talk about this because I'm sure you might've seen this as well. When counseling couples or even one partner in particular that has an issue with their spouse, the partner attempts to, to attempts to bring in the other spouse as the issue. And I'm seeing it a lot with men. This is what I'm seeing with men the most right now. They'll call me and they'll say, Chris, my marriage is not working because my wife is not giving me sex. Mm-hmm. If she just gives me more sex, my marriage will be better. It's her fault. She just doesn't give me sex. Then when you talk to the wife, the wife says, it's not that I don't want to have sex with my husband or my partner, but they're not giving me what I need to want to have sex with them. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then the man goes, well, if you have sex with me, then I'll give you that stuff. But the wife goes, how do I have sex with you if you don't give me the things to feel emotionally secure to want to have sex with you? But then we dive deeper and I ask this question and I've been asking this to a lot of men lately and it's, it's, it's really like a checkmate question. They just pause. The question mm-hmm. I asked the men is I said, Tell me about other areas in your life you're gaining gratification and satisfaction or validation outside of sex. Crickets. They'll say, I don't have any friendships. I don't have any hobbies. I go to work and come home. Well, yeah, that makes sense. If you've produced a life or created a space where sex is the only thing you obtain gratification from, imagine the pressure that puts on your wife or your partner. So your partner now has this pressure to be the only good thing in your life. Wow. 
Yeah. I want you to speak to that. What What would you tell the guys out there who yeah. are struggling with a negative relationship or not a gratifying marriage and they don't know how to assess what's really wrong? Mm-hmm. Like, what are some indicators that it may not just be their wife needs to give them more sex, but there might be other things to look at that could help them out? Yeah, I would say, Chris, that it really has to start from within. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned all of that because it's pretty much part of, um, of, for lack of better words, an epidemic with many men in this country. You know, um, husbands, fathers in particular, that, you know, the role of provider, I provide for my family, I work X amount of hours a week, I, I work my my hands, brain to, to the bone or whatnot, and then I come home, I'm tired and I'm seeking gratification. And yeah, you know, they may be seeking out a partner, gratification from a partner who may be dealing with her own stresses while overworking herself. And then again, when you think about parents and, you know, just that job in itself and all of the time, energy and effort that has to be given to that, it's it's exhausting for, you know, couples um, throughout the country nowadays. But to kind of get back to the original question, you know, for men, I would say that, you know, think about maybe what you're lacking from within, what you are not giving to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, um, maybe you're not giving yourself that love that you're hoping you get from your partner. I mean, of course, in a relationship, that's that's just what we seek in general in a marriage. But, you know, what about loving yourself, learning to love yourself? you know, learning to find peace from within and to kind of get back to the loving yourself component. You know, one of the first things when I talk to male clients about that, let me go ahead and um, put down my blinds because the sun is getting in my face. But um, anyway, yeah, one of the first things that I talk to them about is that, you know, in those moments where just you're, you're emotionally overwhelmed and you notice yourself being more irritable and then you take a step back and, you know, reflect on why was I so irritable? Start with just reminding yourself that it's okay. You know, it's okay to have feelings. It's okay to have emotions. It's just part of our existence as people. Okay. So that, um, give yourself permission to feel, of course, related to that, um, taking time to just rest, Mm -hmm. to, to, to decompress, whatever you want to call it, stepping away from your work responsibilities, um, you know, remembering that we're here. I mean, work is part of our lives part of our existence, but we don't live to work at the same time. Uh, We work to live. But anyway, yeah, you know, things like that. Um, And, you know, just even at a, you know, physical level, you know, how are you eating? Are you exercising? Right. Activity. Yeah, exactly. If not those things, okay, then maybe start incorporating those things. If, um, you know, social relationships, you haven't been in touch with your friends for a while, send a text. Instagram right. message, whatever. How are you doing? Check in. Yeah. You know, things. So, like- so, so what I'm, I'm hearing you say the the first step, men have to be aware that they have emotions and they have to find their own emotions, but before trying to evoke emotion, in other people. Yes. And looking at themselves holistically. So mm-hmm. it sounds like the checklist would be like physically, what am I eating? Am I getting water? Am I hydrated? Am I exercising? Who am I spending time with? Am I connecting with social groups? Am I connecting with friends? Am I connecting with family? What am I doing for me? When was the last time I did something I like to do alone versus always having to feel like pleasing everyone else and then I get put on the back burner? 
Mm-hmm. Now, as, as we come, you know, closer to the end of the interview, this was a question I want to ask you, major question. Yeah. You talked about men learning how to acknowledge and identify their emotions. Mm-hmm. When men take the time to identify their emotions, they acknowledge an emotion and then they communicate that emotion to their spouse. Talk to the wives on how they can better respond to their husband when he takes the risk of vulnerability by presenting his emotions to them. And the reason why we ask that question is because there are a lot of women that say, I want my husband to let me in. I want my husband to be more vulnerable. I want my husband to be more expressive. But when that husband expresses their vulnerability, we've seen women not know what to do with it. They become blinded and they're like, you know what? Can you put that back in the box? I really didn't want that. Mm -hmm. So talk about how women can be better supports for their husbands, for their men who are taking that risk to finally open up. Yes. Okay. So, you know, my message to the ladies would be, ladies, you know, don't uh, run under the assumption that when your guy opens up to you that you have to solve, resolve his issues. Nothing like that. It's nothing like that. Think about just the power of listening. Listen to him. Listen, 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 listen. Think about in your lives when, you know, you've been listened to um, by people. Could have been, you know, your your own partner. Could have been coworkers, family members, friends. You know, just you were dealing with something overwhelming in the moment and you shared your concerns to somebody and they just listened. Think about how you felt afterwards. And especially, too, if they didn't give you any solutions or whatnot, but nevertheless, they took the time to listen to you. You know, you probably felt a sense of relief, maybe a sense of catharsis and et cetera. With your guys, it's going to work the same way in a sense that, you know, just when he finally gets to that place where he feels safe to open up to you and be vulnerable with you, just listen, 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 and try to put yourself in his shoes. And remember those times and moments when you were listened to. And again, you felt that sense of relief afterwards and that, you know what, someone heard me out. They didn't give me advice or whatnot, but nevertheless, I felt really good afterwards. So just listen, listen. Yes. And I'm glad you mentioned listen, 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 because we've heard husbands say that their wives get frustrated with them when they're having dialogue and the husband attempts to provide a solution. Mm hmm. And I'm glad that you're liberating all the ladies that are listening. You do not have to fix the man's problem. You can continue to just be there as a support and validate. And the validation can also look like not telling him what he did wrong. <laughs> That's not going to help. <laughs> yeah. Just listen. And guess what? Those that are right now on, if, if you're hearing us speak, be mindful that listening actively can simply be just reciting back what you heard Mm -hmm. that is a very simple technique and tactic that aligns with active listening because we sometimes don't know or don't believe that listening is actually doing something listening is doing something listening is an action listening creates connection and what i'm hearing you say louise is for the ladies that are out there and the fellas as well be in a place to hold your partner's words and give them back to them. And that validates they were heard Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, connection is going to supersede anything 
you say or do. Luis, yes. man, this has been phenomenal. I always like every guest to share a little bit about how they can be contacted uh, based on, you know, any work that you're doing, projects you have coming out, uh, products that you sell. Just want to give you a quick second to tell our audience ways they can connect with you or any uh, information you want to share with them. Yes. So um, please feel free, folks, to check out my website, um, www.vidasocal.com, V-I-D-A-S-O-C-A-L.com. Um, on my website, I have a plethora of information about the specific services I offer and um, how you can get in touch with me. And also, too, uh, I didn't mention this, Chris. I'm I'm an author. I recently, and I say recently, um, going back to February, I published a book in February called What About Dad? Understanding and Addressing Postpartum Depression in Men. And uh, that's a topic that, um, you know, just it has yet still to gain a lot of attention, but it's there. there's increased concrete evidence that men do deal with postpartum depression. And in that book, I share my story of what happened after the birth of my first son in 2012. And, you know, just some steps that we can take to raise awareness of it and connect more men fathers uh, who are struggling with this with the support they need. So folks, feel free to check it out. It's on sale right now on Amazon. And, um, you know, when I encourage folks to read the book, I also encourage them to spread the word because Absolutely. there's a... A, a chance. I don't know how big or small that someone, a man in your life may be a newborn, a father actually soon to be, or, um, you know, newborn father may be dealing with some postpartum related distress. So check it out and um, feel free to shoot me an email if you like. Um, all my information is on my website. And um, thank you again, Chris, for having me here today. Absolutely. And I'm just putting this out there while we're live. Uh I'm 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 sensing a a part two where we just focus and hone in on your book because as a, as a father of three, I, I'm interested and I'm sure all the dads listening want to get more information and the moms as well. So mm. let's go ahead and put it in the atmosphere that we need to do a part two. Okay, focus on that because <laughs> that because as you were speaking, I'm 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 listening like man, I, I want to gain more information on that, but I want to be mindful of the time of our listeners. Uh, so we'll go ahead and put that out there. Part two coming soon, hopefully. All uh, right. <laughs> for you guys that have been tuning in, I want to thank you. My name, once again, is Chris A. Matthews. You've tuned into the Marriage Underdogs radio show. We drop new episodes every Tuesday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, once again, you can also leave your questions, comments, or reviews if you go to marriageunderdogs.com. I look forward to bringing you guys another episode with another phenomenal guest next week. Thank you.